0: Hi everyone, Uh, we're going to talk about legal education uh, as it fits in in your in-house practice and how the principles of education can really help you to have much better, more productive conversations um, and really guide your your clients with, with care and clarity and compassion and hopefully in a memorable way so that you can be a little bit more creative. Um, I have a perfect guest. She is an in house lawyer. She will introduce herself momentarily. She also teaches. Uh, and so that's a perfect opportunity. If you're curious about teaching and how and why in house lawyers would teach at a university, that's a good time to ask those questions. As a reminder, um, the guest I have have been nominated by you, by the Notes to My Legal Self community members. So if you have nominations or perhaps want to nominate yourself, do that. Uh, definitely get in touch with me, nominate yourself. It's a completely acceptable, normal way to nominate. And uh, because you have a lot to share and folks like asking questions and learning from each other. So definitely do that. And without further ado, I will have Bass. Hi, Bas, introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Olga. So as you said, my name is Beth Colombo.
1: I am in what is usually sunny Sarasota, Florida, although we're kind of rainy today and we're spoiled. So that's a bummer. Um, and as you said, I, I am an in-house counsel and a professor of business law. So I'm just very excited to be here and talk to your audience.
0: Fantastic. And where, where are you today? And what is your specialty? Uh, Today,
1: I am uh, in-house counsel for a uh, pricing software company. Uh, It's a great company. And I love being in that software as a service industry. And uh, my specialty, I am somewhat of a generalist, but my specialty is absolutely, and I think you feel me on this, Olga, is absolutely contracts and contracts negotiation.
0: Okay. I'll hold myself and try not to derail the conversation into contrast because everyone knows where my passion lies. So let's let's move forward. (laughs) I love that about you, (laughs) Olga. Good. Very good. Um, you know, before you got to where you are being a sort of journalist at a SaaS company, what was the road? Because folks are usually very interested to know kind of how you came to where you are. What were the steps along the way? Yeah.
1: So I'm going to go back to undergrad, but I promise I'll keep this shorter than that sounds because I'm out of undergrad for a long time. But the reason undergrad is important is my bachelor's is actually in film, television and theater. And so you can imagine the journey from that to where I am today. Um, So I was in my senior year of college going, wow, I love theater. I love television, but I don't think I can handle the instability of that world. What else do I love? I have a passion for law. So I went to law school. I thought this is an an education and how wrong we often are, even about ourselves, because in law school, I went, oh, I love litigation because I did theater. I don't know why I thought they had something to do with each other. I love litigation. I worked for a litigation firm during and after law school. I hated litigation. And so I said, oh, okay, well, that
0: was very wrong. Um, (laughs) There is nothing in common between those two worlds other than we all speak the language. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was very wrong.
1: Happy to admit it. Um, And then thought, gee, what else? I don't really want to leave law. What else? Maybe I'd like business law. Maybe I'll be wrong again. (laughs) Maybe I want to work in a company. Um, I was lucky in that a a large uh, corporation gave me an opportunity because you know it's hard to get in-house experience without in-house experience. But they took a chance and I started very green to in-house. I spent seven years there. It was a technology company. And I then did a stint in, I loved it. I learned that finally I found it. I found the thing I love. Um, I grew. I learned there. And then I did a stint in a cybersecurity company as in-house counsel. And now I'm with this SaaS company and I'm incredibly happy. I feel like the journey has sort of paid off. But all, I'll end by saying all
0: along the way, my passions led me and eventually I found the right spot. I love it. I, I think what I, uh, stood out in your kind of uh, description of your journey is that maybe I'll be wrong again, um, yeah. and kind of open-mindedness about it. I kind of like that attitude because you know you don't actually know until you try, and being open about being wrong and learning from that and growing from that. I think that's a that's a trait that I see among successful in-house lawyers all the time so thank you for openly share maybe i will be wrong again attitude and how helpful it has been to you on your journey you mentioned that you teach and you have a passion for education so help me con- you know tell me more about where you're teaching and how how and why and where did this passion for education come from
1: Great question. Um, so I am currently teaching at Southern New Hampshire university. So that's a remote role, um, which is great. Uh, the desire for education and learning of my passion for education came Probably from these like four steps in my journey. So I can start with the first one, which uh, you hit on in your description leading into our chat today, which is really just being a continual learner. I love to learn. I love to teach others. And I love that that's a two way street. We can learn from each other. We can teach each other. So that's a lifelong thing, obviously. Um, The second piece is that I, started that role. I was talking about where I was seven years, started very green in-house, but then had seven years experience by the time I left that company. And in that role, as I grew and got better at my role, I started to be mentored and to mentor others. And I just it like clicked with me. This is amazing. Both being mentored by others and learning from their experience and the way that they think differently from me, and then mentoring others and helping them be better in their role and better in their lives because, oh, wow wow, now I have something to offer. That's a revelation. And so that was the second piece. And then there's a couple more, but I want to break in case you have anything to add there, Olga.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you, you, You. I was just curious about know, the, the education piece and uh, passion for it, how it bridges to in-house practice. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question.
1: So um, the other two pieces, and I think they matter to the in-house, so I'm going to briefly mention them, is that I got the opportunity to join the board of my All-Girls Catholic High School, Immaculate Heart Academy. So I did that. And then I was learning about you know the board and the inner workings of the school. And that all translated, and then obviously Southern New Hampshire University, that has all translated into my uh, in-house career so wonderfully. And that's how I sort of came up with these four C's. I like alliteration, but also So um, those four things, the communication, counsel, creativity, compassion, those are the things that I constantly see overlap where I go, oh, I can use the things that I've learned from
0: and utilize in education to be better in my role here, you know, in-house. So let's maybe, you know, take them, you know, you have this four C's that beautifully... Alliterate, as, as you mentioned, and really, you know, it, there is a you know, as in house council, we you know, our role as educators is actually pretty significant. And you know, yes, you also teach, but yes, we educate all day, every day. That's kind of what we do. You know, birds, flies, fish swim, we educate. That makes sense. Um, but I really like the structure you created around it and kind of you, you think around this in, in a very intentional constructive way so let's talk about let's start with first C, communication Tell me how you conceptualize it in your kind of day-to-day in-house practice. What are, What is kind of, what is the main components of that? Yeah, I have a real passion about communication
1: because I think it can make or break interactions. And I think when we've all had miscommunications and then it can lead to, you know, use of resources to fix something or hurt feelings or whatever the case, and it was just a miscommunication. So one of the big, obviously we can talk about communication for hours and we don't have that time. So, um, and I don't call myself a communication expert so um so one of the the sort of the main thing that i take from my teaching into my in-house role and i'm sure all of the you know in-house lawyers listening are like yes is clarity it's so important that we are crystal clear and i think one of the huge things with that is perception so in other words I'm a lawyer. I'm talking to people in-house who are really smart people, but they're not lawyers. They're not supposed to be. And my job, like you said, you're absolutely right, is to educate. And in educating, just like with my students, where if I'm not clear with them, they're not learning and I'm not doing my job and it's not helpful for them, I need to be really clear with my internal clients and speak on whatever their level is, where whatever they come to me. It's also like a reading of people, right? Because it's like, does this are they of more adept at these legal concepts? Are they less? What do they need from me? Um, and then just trying to express that really, really clearly. Sometimes I draw it out if it's a complex contracting
0: concept, whatever will get me there on
1: the, on the clarity and being super crystal clear.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am with you that this uh, meeting people where you are and kind of assessing the situation, trying it be willing to fail um see if that really was an impactful conversation and if not try again and you're right for some people it's maybe a lot of words for other people we draw together for others, it is them asking me questions. For others, it's me doing analogies. You know? <laughs> I've done all kinds of things because you really want to be a true partner. And you know, being a partner meets, means you meet people where they are and you speak their language. Yes. And you know, sometimes language varies across people. Sometimes it varies across disciplines. Yes. Um, there are sort of cultural divides. There's all kinds of reasons why something could be miscommunicated. And and there is a cost to that. Uh, if anything, frustration, and it's really hard to repair that. Um, you have a you know a second C, and the second C is that of counsel. How do you go to to that? How do you structure that counseling conversation forward?
1: I think a really important piece of the counseling piece is delivery and so i think we've all been it's even as simple as like think about when you're at a restaurant and if and i was a server so i feel like i can speak on this when the server you order something you're like dying to have you're so excited some kind of you know delicious dish and, and you know there's a big difference if your server goes yeah we don't have that <laughs> versus <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. We ran out of that today, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Like everybody's human. I'm not gonna, you know, be a crazy person because you ran out of a dish. I get it. Um, But it's the same thing in, you know, education, obviously, and then our in-house role. So I really think of the counseling piece as what it is. We're truly counseling, and part of that is how important the delivery is. So I've never, I hope, in my career, made the other person, you know, feel feel like I thought they were just like, "Why are you asking me this question?" Because I'm sure that I've asked a lot of questions of other experts that you know I sounded really stupid, but they weren't. I needed to know the answer, so a lot of it is that delivery, and I think delivery delivery has so many components to it. Because part of it is the clarity we already talked about, and then part of it is just like your tone and your demeanor. And one example, I'm going to tell myself because this was bad behavior on my part. I used to when I was working at my the role I was in for seven years. I was really busy. We ran lean. I would be working. I have so many things to do, you know, everybody that understands me, you know, our jobs are busy. Right. And so somebody would come by my office and I would be listening to them, but I'd be like sometimes doing something and also listening and doing something on my screen and listening. And I, I started to go like, that's, like, one, that's kind of rude. Like, everybody knows, you know, we're busy, but it's kind of rude. (laughs) So I stopped, and I learned so much more, and I had active listening, and it was just, it was way better. So that's an example of where even delivery can even be your body language and your tone and your activity.
0: Yeah, yeah. I find that, you know, if I'm very open, I I did that, too. And then I was like, that's that's not what good partners do. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to be a good partner. So I shifted to... To being, hey, I only have two minutes, but the two minutes I'll give you will be my full attention. You will mm-hmm. get my eyes and my ears and my body language and I'll be fully present for that two minutes, but I only have two. Um, and that actually sometimes all you need. <laughs> you know... Um, You know you have also sort of the creativity piece and you know that is a loaded term in in law you know sometimes it's seen as a positive term sometimes it seems like a negative term um but i'm just curious kind of the way you think of creativity especially in the context of in-house practice what does it mean creative and how how creative can you be yeah, and great point. Let me be clear. We should always be ethical. <laughs> Don't be creative, you
1: know? <laughs> um, really good point. So, obviously, I definitely mean the positive connotation. Um, it comes, the education piece is that, as I'm sure any instructor will tell you, we often have to be very creative to engage certain students. Certain students are present, they're there, but sometimes we have to get very creative to engage all of our students. And so that translates to in house, obviously, in a variety of ways. Um, but one, and I feel like Olga is going to be super excited about this
0: but one example <laughs> to be work. clear I'm very excitable everyone knows about me especially when I talk about two in-house lawyers about their in-house practice so mm-hmm. that's not a very high bar I'm just <laughs> that. <laughs> I thought I had you. Um, so, so
1: one way that I find creativity has really really served me in my oh geez I'm like a, I don't even know over a decade now I think of in-house work is um with contract negotiations. So for example, if you know, let's say my company is negotiating with a really important client, and not necessarily my current company, but any company that I've been with negotiating with a really important client, really important vendor, whatever it is, um, we'll stick with the client example. And um, there's something we just can't agree on. It's been a protracted negotiation, we just haven't gotten there that's when it's like, oh, now I can use my creative juices to say, let's say we're hung up on limitation of liability just because of course, right?
0: <laughs> um, I that was to say. Is it a hypothetical or is it an average? Problem. <laughs> every, every single everything ever in the
1: universe um so so let's say we're stuck on that which i always find hilarious that it's lol because it's not usually funny <laughs> but let's say we're hung up on lol um so are there ways and i get better at this every year I'm in-house, of course, you know, because I, I can sort of borrow from other people, learn from other people, come up with my own ideas. Are there other ways to get around the impasse? So can we draft really clever language right in that limitation of liability provision? If that won't work, can we draft language in another provision that would maybe make us and our client feel more comfortable with what's in the limitation of liability provision? Can we do something internally to can the client do something internally? Can someone do something internally to make, make it more palatable for everyone? So, you know, I feel like P, a lot, there's a misconception that contracts are dry and boring, but I'm a nerdy contract person who loves them. And also there is creativity there. If you're doing your job really well, you can, in fact, use your creative juices and come to better solutions than if you're just kind of saying, no, we can't agree or yes, it's fine. Go ahead. Whatever. Um, so that's kind of fun. I like those moments where we can Do that, and we can use our creativity, much like I do in education, to come to the best solution for everybody, especially the company I work
0: for. So I did love that example, and it totally had me. So there you go. Uh, So just to be clear, even though I'm normally excitable, that was exciting. Uh, That was objectively exciting for anyone, including Olga, especially Olga. Um, But um, you know, you know, I do that thing too. Actually, I with lawyers I work with, or I negotiate i do look at their red line in limits of liability because i feel like i learned a lot about the person the kind of red line they put in limit of liability it's a challenging place it is also a place of many words and it could be connected as you said to many sections so you know that is a really you know a robust place for a lot of creativity and and you can kind of tell about. I, I can definitely predict the personality of a lawyer based on their red lines, of limit of life. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I have a portrait before I meet them, and it's like You're right. a pretty good match. <laughs> it's absolutely true. That's so funny. That's right. <laughs> you know, you you know, and I do want to get to the last year of compassion, but before we do get there, um, you know, you we talked about sort of communication and. Um, the part, you know, like w- how we speak depends on the, on the recipient. You know, what I find is that as I age um, is that I listen more mm-hmm. uh, because I feel that I, you know, that really allows me to meet people where they are better, li- really understand the gaps, mm-hmm. short circuit a lot of things. And I also found that people really enjoy teaching me much more than they really enjoy being taught by me. <laughs> so I find myself being more effective when I actually listen more and then become a woman of fewer words. So I'm just curious, how do you think of, of, of the sort of listening silences in a way that is intentional? I love it.
1: I love every point you made. I'm big on active listening and I'm constantly trying to be better at it because one thing that I think it's easy for a lot of us to do, especially those of us that have minds that just never stop, is to be listening to respond. Like, oh, I'm going to say this. I just have to wait for that person to stop talking. Um, but I think it's so good. I think you use the word intentional and that's so true to be in the moment and listen to the person because so many times what has happened, and this is really interesting, is I'm listening to the person. I'm anticipating where they're going to go and, oh gosh, what am I going to respond? And then they go a totally different direction. And sometimes it's actually a better direction. I'm like, oh, you know, phew. Like, that was good. Um, So yeah, I fully agree with everything you said. I think active listening is such a huge part of... Probably many of my four C's, but certainly the communication piece, uh, huge in education, huge in in-house, huge in our lives. Um,
0: so yes, absolutely, I love that, and that was uh,
1: that was a really great point. I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Yeah, I think when you allow your customer, you know, because you know we tend to also, you know, lawyers tend to be smart, but we tend to help you know in-house folks uh, who works outside of legal department tend to be very smart too. Mm-hmm. Um, and to yeah. your point, it's really interesting to. To, to notice sometimes that they take you to direction that you haven't considered. Um, And that's a different (laughs) conversation, right? Right.
1: And you're so right, too, that they're really smart. So we actually do ourselves a disservice if we're just talk, talk, talking all the time. We've all been around the attorneys who kind of want to hear themselves talk and look at me. I'm so smart. And here's all these things I have to share. But sometimes you're so right. We have to step back from that because that's when we kind of it's a little bit selfish because we get so much out of it. I have have worked and work with some of of the smartest people and in areas I'm not as, as knowledgeable. So that's amazing. And you're so right. It gives us an opportunity to learn so much. And actually that's one of the things I'm most grateful for being in house is that teamwork collaboration, learning from each other. I just, I feel grateful every day that I get to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But coming to the end, we have a few more questions. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about compassion because that's a big one. That That's just what good humans do, not just good lawyers do. But I'm curious in the context of giving legal advice, especially in the context of in-house now, how do you what is the components of compassion and how do you actively practice?
1: Yeah, and I cheat this one because I think of this as two, (laughs) um, which is compassion and empathy. And obviously, they're different if we think of compassion as very simply put, like a concern for others, and then empathy, the capacity to place ourselves in other's shoes. And so obviously, if we have that empathy and can place ourselves in other's shoes, then we can more easily have that compassion and that concern for others. And so I think that they're they're obviously important in education with students. And then that translates to in-house and so many ways. But one of those ways is I think it's really important to have compassion for the person, especially with definitely our external clients, but internal clients, because I've learned in my career, you know, sometimes you have, let's say a salesperson who's, um, very aggressive or very, um, just maybe I've heard a lot of lawyers call salespeople annoying, not me, (laughs) but I've heard lawyers say, um, but sometimes you don't know where they're coming from. And so I've, I've put myself in their shoes and and I've had that compassion and that concern for them. And sometimes you learn this is a new salesperson and they went around the process that your company has because they don't know where to go. They literally have no idea what they're supposed to do. And so by having that compassion, instead of shooting back the email of go here, you're not supposed to do this. It's around the process. You can then say, Oh, hi, so-and-so just, you know, you know, this is the process. And then sometimes you learn, I've had salespeople say to me, Oh, thank you so much. I'm new. I didn't know I'll do that going forward. And then and they end up being these great partners to work with. Um, so. I think it's a really good way to build your network and to build it in a way that's human because you're not always focused on like me and I'm busy and, and they're doing it wrong. And and obviously they have bad motives for doing it wrong. You know, if people have bad motives, that'll come to light. We'll all figure that out and deal with it. But I think it's better to approach it. And just like I do with my students from a, a place of compassion and, and concern for them and then go from there. And, and you'll see, you know, sometimes that's led to really
0: fruitful, meaningful relationships in business and in life. Life. yeah i am um, <laughs> i didn't fully really understand salespeople until i become one right and uh, some people would say that the ceo is a chief seller so there you go um <laughs> you know I, I am definitely a much better lawyer than i'm a seller and i'm still learning quite a lot and and you know i find a couple of things is that one is that uh, people who succeed in sales and people who succeed in law tend to have different intelligences um mm-hmm. and they they are actually just different people Right. Um, and They're just trying to collaborate and work together and sometimes they do it better than others. So I think mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's very important to, to kind of appreciate that, see that difference and appreciate that difference, but also mm-hmm. understand that, you know, internally often the, the incentives uh, uh, for a lawyer, you know, who has usually has a pair, pretty large base versus mm-hmm. uh, incentives for a sales professional who usually has a very large variable, um, is very different. So, and hence, you see different behaviors. I think appreciating those differences for what they are and seeing them and being intentional and being empathetic, you know, because there is, you know, a really good chance that a salesperson who's not doing his job will not get the comp that they're counting on to feed their children. And um, and they may not have the job for very long. And, 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 and so, understanding that empathy, understanding that and being empathetic And compassionate around it, I I found that for me to be a journey, (laughs) and I truly did not get it until I kind of got into um, a a sales role. (laughs) Um, But it is, uh, you know, you definitely see the legal and sales have this let's just call symbiotic relationship because I don't want to use a judgy term. Um, It is definitely there. Um, I love you. Uh, four C's and you know many of them have kind of robust components there Um, and we're coming to the end so I do want to kind of ask for a question around how how actively do you look for windows of opportunity to you know use your education skills you know how how routine are they and and, and what is the perfect opportunity to educate that's a great
1: question. Because I think a lot of us think of it as, you know, formal learning groups and corporations, which that's true. And those people are amazing, um, or training large groups. And that can be great if you're a dynamic trainer, and you're able to do that in your organization. But I am always keeping my eyes open for opportunities, those like one-off opportunities, because they come around so frequently where, and just like I can be educated frequently by my colleagues, I have opportunities to educate them. It can be something as simple as a new employee who doesn't know something and that empathy kicks in. I go, oh, I've been there. That's the worst feeling. Hey, let me tell you how to, it could be like, you, we use concur for expenses. I mean, it can be the easiest thing, or it could be an opportunity to go through a really complex limitation of liability structure. And here's how it works. And this is what it means. And this is what it means to your bottom line, because I think speaking to the business folks, how it affects them in a business way is very helpful. So I constantly look for opportunities and I get the most satisfaction, both as a learner and an educator out of those one-offs where somebody needs to educate me. I need to educate them just everyday stuff going on. You take the time to do it and you're both better people and professionals for it
0: yeah I, I love it I, I love how you mentioned the sort of the formal and informal and 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 sort of you know important moments and transitions um mm-hmm. those are great opportunities beth um i well i i love the way you think that maybe i'll fail attitude i think that's a great attitude i also love your framework of, of four c's and the importance of sort of using educator mindset and your communication and Uh, So thank you so much for this conversation, I've learned so much uh, from you and about you. Um, What is one thing you want folks who listen to this this LinkedIn Live, to this podcast to take away, if if they take nothing else, what is the one thing that you would like them to know and intentionally apply in their daily in-house lives? First, I, so I,
1: in case I don't get the chance, I want to thank you so much for having me, Olga. This has been amazing. I really appreciate it. Um, and then to answer your question, I think if you take one thing away, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to cheat because I'm going to make it two, because I'm going to say that compassionate, compassionate, Counsel of others is the thing that I would want you to take away because I think when we do that and we do that effectively and clearly and with thought of the other person we save ourselves a ton of time a ton of resources a ton of frustration and it's a really great outcome so I think that would be the thing to take away is just go forward compassionate counsel and uh, you you can't go too wrong <laughs> you can do one more if you want I'm I'm feeling generous generous <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, I think, you know what? I would actually say the last thing because um, I thought I wanted to teach on the side for a while as an adjunct in addition to my full-time role and I didn't kind of know you know, can I get in? It's hard to get into education is what I always heard and who knows and will I like it and I don't know and I, I you know, Southern New Hampshire University gave me this opportunity very thankful to them um, got in, they did very good training of us which is probably a good sign given they're an educational institution And uh, and it's been amazing and it's been rewarding and my students say things to me that practically make me cry because I I feel like I'm actually affecting lives, which is an otherworldly experience. It's a wonderful thing to feel and I'm constantly trying to get better. So what I would say to your audience is if you are an attorney or if you're any anyone who feels like you might have something to offer in an educational setting as an adjunct, seek out the opportunities, like go on, go on higher ed jobs or go on, you know, sometimes they might even be on Indeed go on whatever. I'm not endorsing anything particularly, but just go on these sites and look for those opportunities because you might, if you don't like it, what's the loss? And if you love it, you can take your practical knowledge and the knowledge you've learned from years of experience and you can give that, you're really giving of yourself to others. And especially, I've had a really blessed educational journey. And so I feel like I almost have an obligation to pass that forward. And the last thing I'll say is that. SDHU students are, many of them are are military, many of them are working professionals, their moms, their dads, their brothers, their sisters, their children, they're, you know, they have these robust lives. And so some of them are coming back to school after years away. And so for me to take my sort of blessed traditional educational journey and give that to people who are really excited to learn and to be present is such a gift. So if you're even thinking about it, Try it, like apply for the roles. Try it because you might find a sort of very meaningful purpose in that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I am with you there. I've, I, I've been teaching at Berkeley Law for quite a while, and all kinds of things from financial statements to leadership to. I designed thinking to blockchain law. So not all at once, not all at once. I'm not that talented. It's a lot of pressure to teach it all at once. But um, I, I, it is it is a very special, unique experience. And if you want to start somewhere, uh, talk to someone who is teaching already and ask them to do one lecture. You will get a really good sense of whether this thing for you and, and, and with what frequency. Um, and it is definitely, most definitely will sharpen your um, in-house skills and um, depending on your personality, maybe a very rewarding experience. I certainly stay in touch with all my students that I've had now for over 10 years. And wow. it's, it's, you know, some of them have become general counsel. It's really oh, cool. <laughs> I so might cool. have something to do with that. Or yeah, maybe, yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe this despite of me, not because of me, that's all good too. <laughs> it's, it's funny, no. by the way. <laughs> I love that, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now Beth, now for real, thank you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for the, this wonderful conversation. I, um, I'm sure the audience have enjoyed it as as much as I have and uh, probably even more. Uh, so thank you so much. And again, um, audience, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us uh, for nose to my legal self, for this conversation, um, for doing this, you know, Every week, sometimes a few times a week. As I mentioned, I, I welcome you uh, nominations of folks who can join me in the future. We can have discussions like this. Perhaps we should have a more in-depth discussion about teaching uh, at your alma mater, or your law school, or or, or you know, a, an educational facility next door, which may or may not be your alma mater. Um, and uh, so again, thank you so much. I'll see you next time, and uh, have a great day and stay safe. Bye, everyone.